The Athletic. Totally football show, Europe. Today, Union and the big reunions as the Berlin side top the Bundesliga. Dortmund meet Haaland and Man City and Bayern cross paths with Barcelona and Lewandowski. We hear who the ghost of Tuchel is haunting, why Barca might just beat Bayern this time and why Allegri will get more chances in Turin even though Juventus don't. Those and all the other big Euro stories coming up in this Totally Football Show. Tuesday, the 13th of September, listener. And we're joined on the Sophie Football Show European edition by James Horncastle. Hi, James. Hello, James. Julien Laurent is with us as well. Hello, Julien. Hello. Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Hello. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Excellent. Everyone's here. Standing by for match day two of the Champions League. Maybe, maybe the key game is Liverpool Ajax. There's other, other interesting fixtures as well. Rangers Napoli that's now been moved to Wednesday, Tuesday still. They're sporting Spurs. Wednesday also, Manchester City against Dortmund, and Bayern Barcelona. Bayern Barcelona, Barcelona at Bayern. Woof. We'll get into that shortly. First of all, how about some moments of the weekend, Alvaro? The moment of the week comes at uh, comes from Nuevo Mirandilla, Cadiz Ground. Uh, it's the 82nd minute uh, of the game uh, between Barcelona and Cadiz, and suddenly the, the the play between Barcelona and Cadiz has to be stopped uh, as there is a person in the stands uh, suffering from some health issues. Uh, quickly. The attention uh, turns into this story. The referee starts the game, as I said. Both the medical teams of uh, Cadiz and Barcelona come out from the bench, offering help. They go there. The fan in the stands is having a really bad time. He needs to be reanimated. And then uh, I did like the way that everyone offered their help. Number one, Ledesma, Cadiz goalkeeper, picks a defibrillator. He runs the whole pitch and he gives it to the to the doctors. Oh, he lobs in it the into the stands, doesn't he? It's, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He pretty much. Yeah, yeah. He throws it and. I don't know if it was a heavy thing, but it looked mm. look to me. Uh, then Jose Mari, another player from Cádiz, uh, helps bring in a stretcher to the stands too. Araujo is praying in despair, and uh, the man was finally reanimated and sent to the hospital. And yeah, uh, it looks like the story is having a happy ending, but uh, it was a very dramatic moment at Nuevo Mirandilla on Saturday. Oh, what, a, what a moment that was. Jules, follow that. It has to be Alexandre Lacazette uh, post-match interview on Sunday night after Lyon were beaten. On le savait dangereux, surtout pas arrêté. On sait que c'est nos points faibles. En plus, on manque de taille à ce niveau-là. Donc, c'est dommage parce que je pense, à part les deux coups de arrêté, on était bien dangereux. Ils ont eu quelques situations nous aussi. Lacazette, who talked like a five-year-old girl, I don't know what happened. Oh, Jules. It's true. He's remained very quiet on the on the on the matter. He lost his voice. He like this. Like, yeah, no, I don't you, know why. You never lost your voice, Joe. I mean, you guys, of all people. <laughs> no, but like you know, you can lose your voice and then you talk a bit like, oh, sorry. But he literally talked like a four-year-old, so and four-year-old girl. Right. But on top of on top of the defeat, to go live on on French television like that is it was not <laughs> ideal, I guess. You know. I some would say. Bravely, he fronted up, even though his vocal cords were letting him down after a tough match for Leon, losing uh, losing against uh, Monaco, no? Yeah, Monaco. Mm. Yeah. Um, but uh, but not for Jules, Rafa. I mean, you know. Yes, James. <clears throat> <laughs> Moment of the week, James was Matthias de Ligt taking out Sarah Grassi in the last minute of the game between Bayern and Stuttgart. Girassi steht da, Girassi läuft an, Girassi oben rechts und Tor! Tor, 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 2 2. Turned out to be a hugely important foul, which led to a penalty, which led to a 2-2 draw, which led to all sorts of crisis talk in Munich, just in time for big Bobby Lewandowski to turn up with Barcelona, so... Potentially momentous moment in Bayern's season. Wow. Wow. Well, we'll get, we'll get on to that very shortly. But James, your moment of the week. I'm going to indulge Julian because I know Julian loves the gossips. So it's got to be the Francesco Totti divorce interview. Oh, oh yes. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> this was quite something. 
undignified, unedifying. Uh, just uh, I don't like to gossip, um, but here I'm going to go. Uh, mm. I don't like the talk, but I'm going to talk. The, you're that, the biggest and gossip. <laughs> we know. He's being Francesco um, Totti. Oh, sorry. Mm. Yeah, it was very much about the the breakup between him and his wife, Hilary. Remember, they got uh, they got married on Campidoglia. On live um, TV. All those years so ago it's, it's, on live TV. It's only fair that the breakup should be kind of equally public, don't you think? They welcomed yeah. us into their relationship and, yeah. Yeah, Giulio Andreotti, I think, was at the, at the wedding as well, you know, one of the most kind of influential, controversial figures in Italian politics over the last few decades. And unfortunately, it all came to an end. You know, sort of Totti saying that penultimate year of his his uh, playing career, just that, you know, in, in, he claims Hillary wasn't there for him and retirement's really difficult. You know, it's a little bit like dying. You know, who cheated on who? Um, and also, uh, again, you know, what's happened to Totti's Rolex collection? Uh, yeah. It's just... Yeah, what has it's quite remarkable. To, to Totti's Rolex collection, James. Well, Totti claims that um, it's been uh, it's been taken by by his wife, hmm. um, who she says, according to Totti, that um, uh, the watches were gifts from him to her. But he said they're, they're men's Rolexes, um, yeah. so um, I'm, I'm sure he'll get by. Um, Do we know but, what happened um, for the breakup? Do we know they just they were not in love anymore? Well, Totti found some texts. Um, Julian, you know how this works. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> can, can I ask, um, Rafa, what did you think of James's story? I liked it, but I had to uh, get out a B that was stuck. Oh, here. right. Rafa was just wandering back and forth in front of the camera with a, what was that, a mop? A broom? <laughs> a broom. Attacking your ceiling. Yeah. Hey, was that the video? Animals, Don't worry. No the animals video were harmed in the making of this pod. This video would be online very soon. We've got it. Mm. Okay, those are some very, very special moments. And up next, let's get into the meat of those Champions League fixtures. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Champions League, Tuesday, Wednesday. More Wednesday, in fact, this week than Tuesday. But uh, one of the fixtures on Tuesday, Jules, is one you particularly want to talk about, and it's Liverpool against Ajax. Hmm. Yeah, because I think on, on paper, not just on paper, this could be... Quite fascinating encounter. Liverpool, of course, having the weekend off. Uh, Ajax playing against Harrenveen, winning quite easily, 5-0 up. They were 2-0 up after 10 minutes or so. Then got a little scared, considered some chances. I think their high line could be vulnerable if you if you exploit it well. And I think there might be something there for, for Liverpool. But you wonder who's going to get the ball most, who's going to try to hit the other one on transition. It's going to be quite fascinating. Suddenly, they're, they're full of confidence and they've got... A lot of players were on good form, like like Mohamed Kudus, for example, who had another really good game at the weekend, uh, like he had in the Champions League last week. So this is going to be great because Liverpool, after losing in that way as well in Naples, can't really afford anything else mm-hmm. but a win, especially at home. So I don't know if not playing at the weekend would help or, or not, uh, but it would be fascinating. I think one, to see who club picks and who is the starting eleven. What do you do with... We know that Robertson is out, so Tsimikas is going to play... I left back. Do you change your? Do you, do you change? What do you change in midfield? What who do you play up front? All those all those questions. We need an answer, and then we need the right answer because I think this Ajax team is so good, could be so good, and could cause you so much problem that if you don't get it right straight away, then I think you might never come back in the game. So I think it's going yeah. to be amazing. And if you lose this game, you might not even come back in the group as it stands. They're in third place, uh, just ahead of. Uh, Rangers on on goal difference. Uh, we had Mikhail Youngsmar on Monday's pod actually talking about Ajax and how good they are, and the fact that even though they've lost manager, so many players, they at least were prepared for it because they they could see everybody apart from Anthony heading out the door from some time back last season, and uh, indeed how amazing Mohamed Kudus has been for them, and how miserable he is playing up front, although he's very very good at it. But uh, what do the rest of you think? Are Liverpool going to turn it around? Rafa is Klopp going to? pull one out of the bag? I think so. We've we've been here before with Liverpool having slight drops in form and players look a little bit tired or don't have the depth in the squad to rotate and they've always bounced back. Of course, sometimes a little bit too late to rescue the season in terms of uh, titles and stuff as they did when they came fourth in uh, 2021. But I think there is no real need to, to panic or to worry about this team. This is still, 
I think the second best team in Europe when everyone's playing at their normal level and this is just a momentary slight blip. Okay. Jurgen Klopp called last week's uh, defeat away in Naples the worst performance Liverpool had had under him, which makes it sound that he's taking it pretty seriously, but I guess we'll see further evidence against this uh, freewheeling and free-scoring Ajax on Tuesday, Alvaro. Yes, and uh, the thing is that we have seen Liverpool having tough seasons like two years ago, but that was mainly motivated by the injury of uh, Virgil van Dijk. Whereas here, um, there is not a clear alibi. I mean, is Thiago's absence? Is Sadio Mane's uh, departure to Bayern? I don't think so. I think that sometimes uh, teams start to crumble, and there is not only one factor, but there are little factors here and there that suddenly make you play worse, uh, make you... Uh, arrive late into the challenges, uh, the chances become half chances, and this is what is happening to Liverpool, and I've seen many good teams crumble in the past, uh, showing similar signs. I think that this Liverpool can, of course, come back from this, but uh, there are players that shouldn't be playing this time, like, for example, Joe Gomez. The other day he was terrible against Napoli, and I know that, uh, you know, Napoli was putting a lot of pressure on him, but uh, he even lost the physical duels, and uh, a player like that shouldn't be losing the physical duels. And uh, also, I don't know if James Miller is up for this, really. Uh, and especially the way Liverpool wants to play football. I mean, this is a guy who is, has been playing professional football for 20 years, and Liverpool basically relies on everybody's energy to put into practice the game pressing, and I don't think Milner is up to this challenge anymore. James, you saw the first game in, in Naples. A brief thought on this. How serious do you think it is for Liverpool? I am tempted to concur with Rafa. I think this team is, is too good, uh, really. Um, and also... <sighs> You know, I, I think we're too quick to underestimate uh, the impact of, of the end of last season, um, not just in terms of the psychology of kind of losing the title on the final day and losing the Champions League final when pretty much everyone outside of Madrid expected them to win. Um, you know, I think if you go back a few years and remember when Liverpool ran City very, very close uh, and then came back the next year and won the league. They hadn't won the league up until that point. It was clear that there was going to be a lot of motivation going into the following season. I think this time around, it's harder to pick yourself up after what happened at the end of last season when you've achieved kind of fulfilment, when you've won a lot. Now they've tried to kind of renew the squad. You know, Mane's gone, they brought in Darwin Nunez. But it's quite an old team now. And there hasn't been a lot of turnaround time between the end of their season, last season, and the start of this one. Um, and I think, I think mentally and physically, uh, it has taken a toll. And that's why I think they will benefit in some respects from having a week off. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens with the Premier League next weekend as well. But then they've got international break. I know some of the players will be heading off to play for their national teams. But I think Liverpool probably did need a break after this. I know it's only the start of the season, but as I said, uh, that turnaround time from the last one to, to this one has been, I think it was only like 60 days, 64 days or something like that, which isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things. Hmm. All right. Well, Ajax will be coming before they have a chance to catch any further breaths, and that's Tuesday night. At the same time, your attention may be drawn to events at the Allianz Arena in M Munich where Bayern are taking on Barcelona. Both won last Wednesday, but it's not about last week. It's about last season and the 6-0 across the two games between these two sides. It's about Lewandowski returning to Munich. It's about the 8-2 in Lisbon. It's about time that Barcelona got revenge. But will they, Alvaro? Difficult, but more possible than last year. I think that Bayern has become the, the biggest monster uh, in Barcelona, the monster in the closet that uh, comes at night. And, uh, you know, they, they have to overcome this, really, because if you see the last ties between Barcelona and Bayern uh, over the last 13 years now, they have never been tight. I mean, there was always a clear winner. 2009, Barcelona beats them 5-1 in the aggregate. 2013, Bayern beats them 7-0 in the aggregate. 2015, uh, Lionel Messi does that to Jerome Boateng. Barcelona wins 5-3. Then you go to 2020, 
again, 8-2. And last year, 6-0 in the group stage between both games. So it has never been tight. It's either one comes as a, the clear winner and the other one as the clear loser. Uh, but this time it's slightly tighter than ever, I would say. I think that this is the difference because Barcelona got themselves Robert Lewandowski. And by the way, Lewandowski alone has scored more goals in this Champions League already than Barcelona last season in the Champions League because wow. they scored only two goals as uh, probably you remember they scored only two goals uh, both of them against Dinamo Kiev I think so Barcelona has scored already five or four and three of them have been Lewandowski's but uh, still Bayern is the biggest hurdle that Barcelona is going to try to jump this season they haven't lost this season that's true but they haven't had very tough opponents yet uh, so this is the ultimate test for Barcelona and normally what happens against Bayern shapes the future of Barcelona or the immediate future in fact in 2021 I think that Kuman was sacked and in 2020 after losing with Bayern Kike Setien was sacked as well. I'm not saying that Xavi is going to be sacked, no way. Huh. But what I'm saying is that sometimes Bayern is the unit of measure of Barcelona. Right, the yardstick, if you will. Barcelona with a big win at the weekend away in Cadiz in that game that you were mentioning before. With Lewandowski coming off the bench to, yes, notch up another goal. That's his sixth Liga goal of the season in just five matches. No player has reached that total quicker in La Liga in the 21st century. He's got nine in all competitions. What kind of reception will he get at the Allianz Arena? Do you, will he be feeling the occasion, do you think, Rafa? Well, the officials have been sort of appealing to Bayern fans to welcome him with applause and stuff, but I think it'll be, it'll be mixed. I think there'll be some in the, in the ultra section who will probably at best be neutral and then maybe some of the posher seats, some polite applause. But I don't think he'll meet strong emotions either way because he didn't really ever provoke strong emotions in one way or the other, which is a weird thing to say for somebody who scored so many goals. But somehow I is think it people TikTok? found it. Is that what the issue is? Sorry? Is it his TikTok? Is that what the issue is? <laughs> no, ah. no, it's not the TikTok. No, I think um, for goal scorers to really connect with a club that needs more than the goals, it needs a sense of this guy scoring the goals for us rather than for himself. And... Lewandowski, I think the Bayern supporters never really felt it that strongly, uh, with the exception of the 2020 season when he suddenly sort of became slightly more of a, a Bayern player rather than uh, Lewandowski himself uh, sort of scoring for himself. That's why I think his comeback to Bayern will not actually elicit strong emotions one way or the other. That said, James, very, very quickly, Lewandowski at Barcelona is doing exactly that thing that uh, Rafael says that Lewandowski didn't trigger at Bayern. Uh, Lewandowski has become a moral leader, in a way, and uh, he has had a very positive impact so far. Uh, the teammates and the manager saying that he's a joy to play with King, that he's a natural leader, and uh, you have even seen him, or we have even seen him, singing some Gypsy Kings outside the training ground with a few supporters and all that. So I don't know, maybe this is a new person, a new a new himself, but the mm. truth is that uh, his leadership has been really friendly so far. All right. Uh, without him, certainly Bayern do seem to be having one or two teething problems. They slumped this weekend to their third straight draw in the league. Rafa, as you mentioned, uh, that was a 2-2 with the Stuttgart, which has made this Bayern's worst start to the Bundesliga in 12 years. Crikey. So is this a good time to be facing them? I think so. I think so. Bayern were really at odds with each other in this game. Julian Nagelsmann rotated. He needs to keep everyone happy. He needs to give game time to players who are maybe just behind the starting eleven, like Serge Gnabry, for example, or Dario Pomecano. But the dilemma is he needs to do all that while keeping that rhythm that Bayern were missing uh, for the second half of the season. And it seems as if they've sort of lost that a little bit. Now, three draws in a row. This one... The third one was the one where they actually played really badly. You can make excuses for the Union one. On another day, they win that. Certainly the Gladbach game, they got a freak result, the, the visitors. But this one was a pretty bad performance throughout. And Stuttgart had chances. And yes, they got a little bit lucky with that penalty right at the end. But they deserved it because they didn't give up. And Bayern sort of just didn't manage the occasion very well and got very angry with themselves for being very sloppy. And losing out on, on three points that really would have made a, a big difference. So now you have already the beginnings of an inquest and, and people wondering what is wrong with us. And is it, is it really Lewandowski not being there? Why aren't we taking the chances? And I'm thinking that 
a lot of it is down to the way Nagelsmann is is managing the squad. It's his first time, I think, that he has to really juggle a squad that is this deep. Last year, of course, it was a good squad, but not quite as good. Last year, you had players who had really no real expectation of playing. This year, it's a smaller squad, a better squad, exactly. And I think he finds it hard to to keep everyone happy and finding a formula that still works on the pitch. And Hassan Salihamidz, the sporting director, came out on Sunday morning and said, well, he's still learning. He's still, well, effectively, he was saying he's still learning. He's saying he's still developing his own style. It's the first time he's had a squad like this. And he was also saying, very interestingly, that he told Julian, um, you can draw the odd game as long as everyone's happy. That's more important. But I think what he underestimated a little bit is that when Bayern draw a game, absolutely no one's happy. So Nagelsmann's been trying to rotate as much as he can. And there were five rotations um, compared with the Inter game, which was a very strong performance from Bayern. But the let-up in quality was was quite drastic. And now we have already the rumours or the, the whispers coming out that some players are unhappy with the way that Nagelsmann always seems to blame the team. And maybe his tactics aren't that great. And it occurred to me that the biggest issue with Lewandowski not being there is not so much the goals, because I think they will score a lot of goals. But with him there, there was a sort of a structure to the starting eleven. It was clear that he would always play just like Kimmich and just like uh, Manuel Neuer. And now you have a more fluid setup with five or six players who all expect to play up front. And none of them is really doing enough to warrant that guarantee that Lewandowski has had. And I think that causes a bit of unease and disharmony at the moment and the only way to fix that is the way that's always been fixed to Bayern which is to win mm. that that keeps all the 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 tension under the surface but the moment you don't win they all come to the fore and they sort of self-enhance the problem um, that's why this game comes at a interesting time stroke bad time but also with the opportunity to change the dynamic very quickly again with a good performance mm. well as usual when Bayern drop points the traditional rivals, Borussia Dortmund, blow up as well. And they uh, they did their part this weekend, losing 3-0 at RB Leipzig. And now, of course, Leipzig under their former manager, under Dortmund's former manager, Marco Rosa. But meantime, Union Berlin continue to pile on the points, going clear into first place in the Bundesliga with a 1-0 win over Köln. Uh, and that's the first time they've ever been top, Rafa. Yeah, and the Union story continues and um, I think one or two people are beginning to wonder can they do a Leicester City? I think it's a bit too early for that, but, you know, they are very, very tough to play against. Nobody likes likes playing against them. They're very, very good on on the counter-attack. They got a little bit lucky with the goal because it was a, a sort of a cross that became a shot, a low cross from Geraldo Becker. But still, Köln coach Stefan Baumgart said... They were the best team that uh, he's played in a long time. Rafi, we've moved on from Bayern, but um, how long is it until we hear Thomas Tuchel's name linked with uh, with that shot? With Bayern, See, I don't yeah. think it's well. He was he was very much in the frame. I think after Niko Kovac left, or maybe it was just before he was appointed. No, it was before he was appointed. And Bayern basically said to him, "Yeah, just wait. You know, we'll we'll, we'll call you." And then he didn't want to wait and move to PSG at the time. He would be a natural candidate, but I don't think it's quite the moment to consider that. Um, but uh, he's the sort of name, I think, who just by being available will ramp up the pressure ever so slightly on on, on managers in Nagelsmann positions. Maybe not him personally, but, you know, Similar clubs with a similar negative vibe. Tuchel, the sort of the phantom menace, will be out there waiting to be uh, redeployed very quickly. Very nice. Okay, well, before we wrap up this part, also on a Bundesliga and Champions League note, Borussia Dortmund, I mentioned they lost 3-0 away at Leipzig. They didn't have a single shot on target. Who have they got next, Borussia Dortmund? Man City. Crikey. A Man City team which could feature... Three former Dortmund players. Okay, Gundogan, Manuel Akanji. Who's the other one? Erling Haaland. That's it. There's Erling a fourth Haaland. one. 
Oh. Oh. You should know this. Um, uh, so we said Gunduan. Gunduan, Akenshi, Harland, and... Rafa mentioned it last week. Yeah. It was a long time ago, though. No was one was it? paying attention. Sergio Gomez. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And can we say a word about Matisse Tell very quickly? Go on, then. Just quickly, because he made history for, for Bayern yeah. becoming their youngest ever Bundesliga, a starter in the Bundesliga. And in the same game he scored, obviously, on Saturday, became their youngest ever uh, goal scorer in the Bundesliga, 17 and 136 days. So, well done. Wow. Paris born and bred, of course. So it's not Boom. Boom. Both goals, both goals came from teenagers for Bayern this weekend, because the other one was uh, Musiala. No, Croydon born and bred, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first time you've had both goals scored by a teenager for Bayern since the 1970s. Fact, fans. Anyway, Man City against Borussia Dortmund. Rafa, is it going to be a very, very ugly evening for, for Dortmund? Wednesday. I don't have great hopes for them. And he was born in Stuttgart, Jamal Musiala. Was he? Mm. Okay. He grew up in South London. Though. All right. Stuttgart born and bred. I don't have great hopes. The reason being, James, is that all the players that they would need and want against City on the break, none of them are available. Karamadiemi, Daniel Marlin, um, Bino, Jamie Bino Gittens, Dorgan Hazard. I think there's a fifth one as well. It doesn't matter. None of them are available. And Anthony Modest, who is a great professional and uh, great in the box and everything, to play him on the break, as we saw against Leipzig, when they had opportunities to maybe do something against a pretty high Leipzig, it's just it's not his game. And um, I, I find it hard to see how Dortmund can can turn up and contain uh, the City team without these players available. It just makes their game very, very slow. On the positives, when the last, last time they showed up at the Etihad, still during COVID in an empty stadium, they played really well. And we're a little bit unlucky with the refereeing decisions, you remember. I think it was the last 16 in 2021-21. So maybe they'll raise their game playing against such a great side. But I'm not overly optimistic after what I saw from on Saturday. I see. In that group, Copenhagen are taking on Sevilla, who actually got a, a win. Their first one of the season this weekend, 3-2 at Espanyol. Anyway, we'll hear more about that sort of thing very, very soon. But next up... James Horncastle here wants to talk about Juventus Benfica. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. That's right. Juventus Benfica. Let's hear that noise again, Jules. Ooh, Juve. Benfica. Benfica have had 11 wins out of 11 games this season. Juve, not so much. Sunday night, they face Salernitana. We didn't have very high hopes for this game because Juve are a little bit dull. Salernitana, I mean, they'd never scored so much as a goal in Turin before. Well, imagine our surprise when the plucky Southerners, the Seahorses, raced to a 2-0 lead at the break. 
And then, James, things got even stranger. They did. Um, Juventus got back into it at the start of the second half. Gleison Bremer, who handled the ball for the Salernitana penalty that Piontek converted for their second goal. He stayed up after a corner, scored his first goal for the club. Uh, but it didn't look like Juventus were going to get back into it. Why? Because they're incapable of creating anything under Massimiliano Allegri. And it's it's baffling because even with Pogba, Chiesa and Di Maria out, there's still enough talent on that team for them to, to be more attacking, to be more creative, to get Vlajevic into the game and get him chances to win games. Um, but as we get to stoppage time, they're 2-1 down and everything's getting rather desperate. Uh, Alexandra wins a penalty. Benucci takes it. It's saved, but he manages to hook it in uh, and it's 2-2. Um, so it looks like they've rescued a point. You this feel is what, really the 91st minute at this point, I think. It is. Uh, and your hearts go out to Salernitana. They've never um, beaten Juventus away from home. They hadn't beaten them at all since 1999. And then Juventus get a corner. Quadrada whips it in. Milik, glancing header at the near post. It's a great header. And it looks like uh, Juventus have won it at the death. Uh, wow. With two goals in stoppage time. He whips um, off his so, shirt to celebrate, picks up a yellow card, scuffles break out, Allegri gets a red card, Quadrado gets a red card, Salernitana's Fazio also gets dismissed. And then we discover, oh my word, that it's been ruled out by VAR. Which is stunning because uh, Milik, uh, his second yellow, uh, basically comes from him celebrating a disallowed goal. Mm. Um, but the goal should not have been disallowed. Um, the decision on the pitch by a young referee only 29 and his linesman was correct um, because the goal initially stood and then the video assistant referee said you might want to have a look at this come to the monitor Um, whilst he's doing that James this is when this uh, var room brawl as Gazetta put it um, broke out um, and there are all these sendings off because basically Fazio wanted to get in the referee's ear before he looked at the images. Um, So he's had all that to deal with. He's lost control. And then uh, after making these three uh, additional sendings off, he gets to have a look at the the pictures and he doesn't get the full picture um, because the VAR has sent him only two images. The first one uh, is, is of the penalty area and Bonucci in this image is offside. And then the second image is of Bonucci attempting to play the ball. So Milik's headed it and Bonucci attempts to head it as well. Doesn't connect. But the referee looking at that says, oh, I did make a mistake. Bonucci was offside. He was active. He was interfering. All hell breaks loose. Uh, And then shortly afterwards, some of the broadcasters, uh, also the tactical cams that Juventus have uh, up in the gods at the Allianz Stadium, show the full picture which is Antonio Candreva, who'd given Salernitana the lead, uh, was out by the corner flag trying to block uh, a cross from Quadrado. Uh, He doesn't block the cross. He stays in position and he is playing Leonardo Bonucci on side by about 50 centimetres. And so Juventus feel there's a a sense of injustice uh, that um, two points have basically fallen through the gap of that 50 centimetres. And it was a bad day for VAR in Italy as a whole. Uh, Fiorentina felt that um, Bologna's winning goal should have been ruled out for an elbow in the in the build-up. So you had uh, the sporting director Fiorentina come out and say he, he was really pissed off um, with, uh, with the situation. Um, you had Lecce's president basically saying to his coach, uh, you don't have to talk to the media. I want to talk to them because we got relegated on account of VAR two years ago. It's not going to happen this time. He felt that Lecce should have had a couple of penalties against Monza. Uh, they drew a game. He felt they should have won. And obviously it culminates with this, uh, the final game on Sunday night with Juventus. But an appalling decision uh, ultimately deflected from an appalling performance from Juventus. Uh, which brings us back to the Benfica game. Mm. Allegri, to be fair, he, d- he didn't seem to rest too much on that as an excuse. He said, uh, we, we were polly, we were chickens, we were basically, I don't know how you Headless chickens. Headless chickens, yeah. 
So, yeah, uh, you, you've, you think it's going to be a difficult night Wednesday at home to Benfica. This was the game Allegri himself said that he wanted to be judged on rather than anything that might happen away at PSG, of course. They might have Di Maria back. They might. Uh, great. Uh, because, um, you know, I mean, in the first game of the season, they won 3-0. He was the star of the show. He he got injured in that game as well and has been kind of eased back on a part-time basis ever since. Didn't play in Paris, for example, uh, in the defeat to Paris Saint-Germain last week. And, you know, Juventus could maybe have drawn that game because, you know, PSG went to sleep a little bit. It, it felt like it was too easy for PSG. They could score at will. They got a bit casual. McKenney comes on, scores, and maybe um, we get to a situation where Juventus come away with a point. But again, it's very much dependent on the game state rather than Juventus actually playing really well. And Allegri said, look, I, you know, I don't want to be a beautiful loser. I want to be an ugly winner. But at the moment, Juventus is just ugly mm. uh, for the most part. And and I, I think there's very little excuse for it. I mean, you can, you can say in, in mitigation that this is Allegri's second year um, at Juventus, just as it's Mourinho's second year at Roma, Spalletti's second year at Napoli. But it feels like they pressed reset uh, in the summer because of they got rid of, well, Delict wanted to leave. Chiellini went to, to play in MLS. Um, the midfield's completely changed because Artur, Zakaria, Ramsey have gone. Uh, Dybala and Morata are no longer there. So it, it, it has been completely overhauled. Some players arrived at the beginning of the window, like Pogba. He then got injured, decided not to have surgery, decided to have surgery last week. Now faces a race against time to be ready for France at the World Cup. Won't play for Juventus until January. Um, you've got players like Chiesa and Di Maria still injured, but there's still enough in that team to get yourself in a position where you're not losing to Salernitana uh, come the 90th minute at home, just as you know they, they should and could have beaten Sampdoria and they ended up drawing nil-nil. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it, in some respects the the the, the, the putiferio the, uh, that that followed the the refereeing decision, the VAR decision, um, has deflected from the fact that Juventus were abject, terrible uh, on Sunday night, and that does not bode well for Benfica's visit on Wednesday. What gets me the most is how how much in denial he is. I mean, he could one day maybe be honest and say, okay, yeah, we're not playing well. I'm trying to figure out how we can play better. I'm trying to mm. do that. But instead, it's like, well, when we say, oh, the first half was so bad, it was like, well, no, you, 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 you watch it, but you don't see it. You don't, mm. you watch the game, but you don't see how good we are. And I'm like, but come on, you can't lie. I mean, let alone the media. Do, do Say what you said to the media, but to your own fans, you can't lie to them saying that what you do is good and I'm happy. He said at the end of the game, oh, I'm happy with the, the boys' performance. You can't be happy with 2-2 at home to Salentana when you should have lost the game, really. I know you could have won it, but you could also easily have lost it. Yeah. And I just think like even to your own fans, it's, it's, it's not honest. When it, the pitch doesn't lie, does it just... Is the Amphora Annals... Uh, asking a question briefly, James, just to kind of briefly resolve this. A lot of people will be wondering, is Allegri on borrowed time? No. Is, for example, Tuchel rattling his bedsheet in the background there in Turin? No, because Andrea Agnelli has never sacked a manager in season, um, no matter how bad it's been. Hmm. Uh, I mean, there were times when Sarri, in the last title-winning campaign, felt like he was on the brink. They waited until the end of the season. Okay. There were times when Pirlo felt like on the brink, lost to Benevento at home, lasted until the end of the season. All and right. the reality is he's got a long-term contract, he's got a lot of influence at the club, so no. OK. Uh, still, the overall picture, not great for Juve. And I hope they get a, a bigger crowd against Benfica than they did on, on Sunday, because that was another pretty disappointing aspect of that of that occasion. Uh, the uh, vast numbers the of football isn't seats. worth the price of the ticket, James. Mm, well, there you go. All right, then. Uh, next up. Oh, we'll have a word about Chelsea Salzburg and ooh, other things as well. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Group E, everybody on Wednesday, has got Milan against Dinamo Zagreb, who beat Chelsea last time. And Chelsea, with Graham Potter now in charge, are going to be hosting RB Salzburg. James, you saw Salzburg last week. Did you like what you saw? Did you see or did you watch? I did. <laughs> uh, I like to think I did both. Mm. Um, but, okay. look, I mean, they, they played a style of football that AC Milan are, are not uh, used to facing all that often in Serie A. Um, they pressed them twice as much 
as uh, their next opponent in in Syria. So, and they've you know even though they've lost a lot of players, James over the the, the, the transfer window, Aronson, Christensen, Adiemi. I, th- I still think for all that people say, ah, this Red Bull era is coming to an end. Leipzig aren't as good as they used to be. I think Salzburg are fine. Salzburg is still very much a very good team and, and certainly very difficult to beat at home. But they'll be playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Won't they, That's this true. Week? In Graham Potter's first game in charge, he's a bright young English manager, as we know. But he's actually 13 years older than the Salzburg boss, Matthias Jessler. How about that? That's because Jessler's still in school, essentially, James. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Uh, very good. Milan, meanwhile, are level on top. It's a very exciting title race going on in Syria. Uh, Milan, Atalanta and Napoli all level on 14 points. Napoli ahead on goal difference. They had a 1-0 win against Spezia at the weekend. Next weekend, Sunday night, in fact, they are going to be at Milan, which is uh, oof, a bit of a tasty-looking match-up. Before that, they've got uh, a trip to Ibrox, one of the temples of European football says Luciano Spalletti, to face Rangers. That's on Wednesday now uh, for policing reasons. Uh, they'll be going there without Victor Ozyman, who's out injured now. Ibrox, of course, uh, a stadium that put paid to the hopes of Dortmund and Leipzig last season. So we'll follow that game with interest. Alvaro, Liga, uh, Real Madrid, the only side in Europe's top five leagues with a 100% winning record. This after their 4-1 victory at the weekend over Mallorca. Sale Valverde, esto es un avión. Sale Valverde, esto es un avión. Sale Valverde, esto es un avión. Chuta Valverde. Qué golazo. Gol, 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 gol. Qué gol, gol, gol. Pudo correr el Madrid. Without uh, Karim Benzema as well, which makes it obviously more difficult. Uh, but Real Madrid is responding to 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 every challenge they have had so far this season. Obviously, the visit of RB Leipzig soon is going to be another challenge, and especially playing against Atletico de Madrid next weekend is going to prove uh, like an important game for Real Madrid and a good way of measuring how good they are. But the truth is that so far they've been pretty much impeccable. I would say that uh, this Real Madrid side has been able to mature the games very well. Maybe in the first half, they are not able to just finish it off, but in the second half they have done it, they have scored 20 goals this season, 14 of them coming in the second half, which to be honest with you, I don't know if this is a normal thing or not, but sounds to me like there is a clear tendency here, uh, Real Madrid scores uh, or kills the game in the second half, and this time with a lot of quality against Mallorca the other day, the quality of the goals was phenomenal, Rudiger scored by the way, but that was not the quality goal, that was the fourth one, but Fede Valverde, what about his run? We're talking about uh, El Alcon, uh, his nickname now. Just uh, running 55, 60 meters on his own, just dribbling past one or two players and putting the ball in the top right corner with his left foot, the weak one, uh, which uh, in a way uh, uncorked the festival for Real Madrid because then in the second half, you saw Vinicius scoring one more goal after a really good ball control, in my opinion, just uh, being very quick to put it to, to bed and score Real Madrid, uh, another goal for Real Madrid. And Rodrigo's goal was, was beautiful as well, uh, with a lot of quality, just leaving opponents behind in tight spaces. So, you know, Karim Benzema is not there, but there are a few players who have a lot of technical ability and they proved that against Mallorca the other day. Mm. Benzema got injured in the 3-0 win away at Celtic. Last week, when's the when's he due to be back? Are there any views on that? Uh, let's see if he's back uh, for the game against Atlético de Madrid. Uh, that would be some sort of a reasonable target. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's not either. Uh, yeah. And it is interesting in a way, James, because last season when Karim Benzema wasn't there, Carlo Ancelotti didn't know what to do. And I remember that he played with Luka Modric as false nine against Barcelona, and that didn't work. That didn't work. This season, he's trying different things. Eden Hazard, for example. Uh, who scored against Celtic, but then against Mallorca wasn't particularly great. But I think that Rodrigo is going to claim that position. Seriously, I think that he's got a chance to be deputizing for Karim Benzema, obviously offering a totally different profile. But yeah, there is a chance that Rodrigo plays there. Well, next up for Real Madrid on Wednesday, it is RB Leipzig, a team whose first game in the group stage this year was so bad it saw their manager fired. That was the 4-1 defeat to Shakhtar Donetsk. Rafa, are they going to be... Better prepared this time round. They had that big win at the weekend over Dortmund. They look much happier, James, uh, playing the more old-school, heavy approach. Tedesco dabbled in a bit of possession football and I don't think 
his way and the team lined up uh, very well, but they looked much happier playing more aggressive vertical style. Werner is happier when he has space ahead of him rather than a slower build-up. Nkunku too. And they, they were too much for Dortmund. Now, I think that their setup actually could pose some problems for Real Madrid if they can lure them forward and hit them on the break. The one negative note or, or doubt that creeps into my prediction is Konrad Leimer, who's so important for them, is out. Unfortunately, he got injured. Uh, him and Xaver Schlager, the two Austrians, they were outstanding as a, as a duo, defensive duo, sort of just winning the ball and then playing off and then a long ball forward almost straight away. Um, Haidara will come in. He's not quite the same player in terms of quality, but I think they will give a much better account of themselves than they did against Shakhtar, where they looked really woeful throughout the game. Shakhtar, meantime, in the early game of Wednesday, will be hosting Celtic, that match being staged in Warsaw. For pretty obvious reasons, Shakhtar won four games in a row in all competitions. Very good. And James, I would like to say something about Shakhtar very quickly because, mm. you know, for me, over the last two or three years, Shakhtar have one of the most distinct styles in the European football. And the way they were keeping the possession was very remarkable. Uh, with a lot of Brazilian players with uh, plenty of quality. In fact, I was checking some numbers and, for example... Last season, uh, Shakhtar was the first team in the Champions League in passing accuracy. And two seasons ago, they had five players with over 90% passing accuracy in the Champions League, which is normal. But the abnormal thing there is that the five players were midfielders. Normally, when you have players with a lot of passing accuracy, they are defenders because they do the easy passing, right? Mm -hmm. Shakhtar had five midfielders in there. But all of them have left uh, because uh, Shakhtar lost a lot of uh, foreign players, uh, we know for which reasons. This summer, basically, uh, there was a rule that uh, let all the foreign players to leave until June 2023, and Shakhtar lost plenty of good players, uh, and lost all those midfielders that I'm talking about that in the 2021 season they were offering a lot of passing accuracy. So Shakhtar is a totally different proposition right now. It's difficult to make a prediction on what Shakhtar is going to do, but the other day they beat Leipzig with only a 36% possession and a very low passing accuracy. So they have become a totally different team completely. And it's down to the fact that the best technical players have left. But still, they are winning. So congratulations to them. They had a really, really tough summer and they lost five or six key players in the space of six, seven days. Mm. Yeah, 14 players, I think, all in all, and of course their manager. We took a kind of deeper look at uh, Shakhtar in, in last Thursday's uh, Totally Show after that Leipzig victory. And it, it is a phenomenal performance, as we said at the time, and I think as a lot of people have commented, amazing that they're even in this competition. Next up, let's hear about Liga from Jules. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Liga, Saint-Germain, Marseille, one again. What else, Jules? What else? Well, Lyon lost again. I mean, the PSG mm. game was interesting because they didn't play well, apart from Messi, I guess, who was quite um, the creative force in that team. And the Neymar goal is fantastic. From the ball from Messi, the first touch, the finish. He created more, but they still needed Gigi Donnarumma with one big save at the end and more importantly, saving a penalty. Mm. Uh, with 10 minutes or 15 minutes to go in the in the game. It's his 17th penalty saved, I think, in his, in his career, which is a pretty incredible number. And, and without him, they would have drawn that game where really, even with the, the changes that Galtier made, and he didn't actually make that many, they should have easily won at home and, and played better than that. So I think they were a bit tired from the Juve game. And it was not great, but at least they got, they got the win, which was very different to the Marseille win, which was far more convincing in the way that they were a goal down at home to Lille. And Paulo Fonseca, who started the game really well, and then they showed their character to come back. Alexis Sanchez scored again. Uh, and then they found the winner in the second half on, on set pieces. So Igor Trudeau continuing his, his wonderful start of the season. This is the best start of the season that Marseille ever had in their, in their whole history. Better than even when they were dominating French football. So well done to Trudeau. Extraordinary. Marseille taking on Eintracht Frankfurt on Tuesday. Sanchez will be back from suspension for that one. As for Paris Saint-Germain, they are up against 
Maccabi Haifa on Wednesday, who last week set a new Champions League record for going seven group games uh, with seven straight defeats and without scoring a single goal. And just quickly on the Marseille Frankfurt, this after what we saw between um, Nice and Colin, of course, on on Thursday night, there's a lot of concern in France about the Frankfurt fan coming over to Marseille for the game. They had, I think, 4,000 tickets. They're coming at 10,000, maybe even more. Uh, so a lot of them without tickets. I think the fr- it's interesting, Rafa, because the French don't want to assume that we could see the same thing that we saw in Nice, which was you know, pretty bad, all the violence, all the, um, all the fighting, everything. Um, but they almost kind of say, OK, but we have to almost assume that it will happen, so we take the, the necessary disposition and security things and all of that. And... It's a, it's a very funny atmosphere, almost like if, if they're judging already Frankfurt fans by saying like, oh, OK, they, they're going to come and going to fight against Marseille hooligans and you could expect that to happen, uh, what, where they have, they, have, they have not even arrived in France yet. So it's a very weird atmosphere with, within Marseille about like, OK, what do we do for this game? Because we can't let what we saw at Nice happen. The game was delayed. There will be sanctions for both, for both clubs. Uh, and it was really, again, horrible to see. And yet, there's still a, an assumption that the same will happen and that we get prepared. We have to get ready for it and prepare for it. It was a strange one, isn't it? Because they said that some PSG ultras had yeah. masqueraded as Köln fans in order to get in and then fight the Nice fans. Um, I hope there won't be a repeat of that. Mm, indeed so. Marseille taking on Eintracht Frankfurt uh, Tuesday evening. Also on Tuesday and the early game... It's Sporting, who beat Eintracht Frankfurt last time out. They are hosting Spurs. Crikey. Well, loads of delights midweek. And coming up next weekend, we, you mentioned Alvaro, the Madrid derby. That's Sunday night. Also Sunday, Milan-Napoli. Also Sunday, Leon Paris Saint-Germain. Crikey. Super Sunday. A real mm. one. Cannot get any better. Yeah. Which are you going to watch? Rafa, Three which are you going to watch? Three screens, easy. Oh, yeah? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, Shall we wrap it up? Jules, it sounds a little bit like you're losing your voice. Beginning to squeak a little bit at the higher... I don't know. I'm not sure. Let me check my mic. Uh, no, no, I was quite happy with I'm the I'm just a bit concerned. Drink some tea because you've got the goal show later on this yeah, Tuesday true. and we don't want you squeaking through that, for goodness sake. Good. Excellent. Well, those games are coming up on the weekend and, of course, big matches in the Bundesliga as well. Rafa, you've got your Ruhr derby on Saturday. And is it Union against Wolfsburg on Sunday? It is, although I wouldn't necessarily classify that as a big game as such. But, yeah, mm. I mean, it's the league leaders. So the league leaders against a Wolfsburg is... team in the bottom three. Wow. Mm. They had right. their first uh, win of the season, though. You'd be really happy to know. Away to Frankfurt. Good. Excellent. All right. Can they get their second against the league leaders next week? Uh, we'll park it there, uh, listener. You go off and have a good time in the sunshine. We'll head off and do the goal show and generally get excited about the Champions League action. And then maybe we'll see you back here on Thursday for another Totally Football show. For now, it's many, many thanks to Rafa, to Jules, to Alvaro, to James, to producer Charlie, and to you, listener. See you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.